1: Blog Talk Radio.
2: After uh, this long week It's been a really weird week It's like I felt like it was Monday On on Friday Um, So happy 4th of July week If you're still um, celebrating And that obviously was a great song To kick it off Highway to Hell by ACDC And um, we have a special guest today In the studio Welcome to a special edition of the Indie Cafe On the Red Velvet Media Network Um, We have um, Onar, Cal who just finished with a movie called Cat Fight who is um, it is out there you can watch it on Apple you can watch it on we're just going to give you everywhere you can see it and it actually debuted I believe at one of the film festivals and I watched it it's an amazing movie and um, I have Spencer Drake also with me my co-host from New York and um, what's really cool trivia wise is Spencer got to play an extra in the movie, so we're going to bring both. Let me bring everybody into the studio. If you'd like to listen to the show, um, you can listen live. You, um, there's a chat room, and also if you'd like to call in, the number is three four seven six seven seven one zero three six. And with that, I am bringing everyone in. Spencer and hey, are you there, uh, it, it, Mr. Tackell? Are you there?
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: Holly. Hey, thanks. Hey, it's good, to, Spencer, it's good to hear your voice. Holly, it's good to hear your voice. Thanks, oh, thanks for the good. nice intro.
1: Awesome. Glad oh, to my hear God.
2: Me. That song, cat. I mean, <laughs> the song and then the movie, Cat Fight, okay? I watched it. I thought it was great. It was such a great movie. And also, there are some other people in it we want to talk about, too. So, um, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, and then we can talk a little bit more about the movie, and uh, for all our listeners listening, we can give out the website and where they can watch Catfight, because it's such a great movie.
3: Oh, yeah, for sure. I just cut me off, too, Holly and Spencer, what if I start to have a and talk too long? I tend to ramble. No, and, no, no, um, go I, for it. We okay, um, and I'm also... Uh, I'm all, yeah, so um, I'm a filmmaker. I've been making um, you know independent films since I was 24. I made my first feature film um, uh, in North Carolina, Wilmington, North Carolina, called House of Pancakes when I was 24, which was 20 years ago. And since then, I've made uh, I guess about uh, maybe a dozen, 10 to 11 or 12 feature films. I have a couple that I'm working on right now. And I took a break. I took a hiatus, I guess, when I turned 32. I made a a movie you have to have a lot of confidence and a lot of nerve and uh, take a lot of risks when you make movies and I made a movie I made movies pretty consistently from 24 to 28 and wow. then I made another film in around 31 um, It was kind of a bad experience, and I I was kind of in a bad place when I made it. And I only made one movie in my 30s, from 30 to 40, uh, or from like 28 to 38, I made one movie. And then um, I moved from North Carolina to New York about seven years ago. And I've been kind of trying to um, make up for lost time. I've been making feature films about one a year uh, since I moved to New York. So I've made about six since I've been here trying to catch up on all the movies I, I missed uh, in my 30s. So I've just been very inspired since moving to, to, to Brooklyn and New York about seven years ago, six and a half years ago. And uh, I was lucky that, you know, Catfight is the biggest budgeted film I've made with the, with the very recognizable, uh, you know, Great talented movie. movie stars. Yeah, Anne mm-hmm. Hathaway, and Sandra Oh and Alicia Silverstone and a lot of really amazing um, supporting performances from all kinds of amazing okay. actors. And then getting really amazing cultural artists and, and, and curators like Spencer to just show up for the night to be in the art gallery scene was an honor as well so um oh, it's God. been great um i I just made a movie recently with um the great Dylan Baker who actually plays uh, the doctor in catfight and um he's an amazing oh, yeah.
1: um it, yeah, oh, yeah he's a
3: great you know film actor t v actor and uh theatrical actor. And I got to know him a little bit a few years ago on a a, a really, really low-budget movie called Applesauce that I made. And we, you know, we just instantly kind of clicked. And um, I want to write something for him. And everything I do, if he's available and and likes the scripts that I write, I feel lucky that I've been able to get um, attract a little bit of a attract really talented people with my kind of crazy, wacky scripts that that I write. You know, Um, so I, I feel very lucky. And I want to just keep making movies um, as long as I can find financing. But I think more importantly, it's funny. When I was in my 30s, on my 30th birthday, mm-hmm. I, I had a kind of a freak out. Um I had made three feature films prior to turning 30. And on the eve of my 30th birthday, I uh, had a panic attack. And I think there was some existential dread with turning 30. Because on my thirtieth birthday, I was directing a regional bank commercial in um North Carolina, and I thought to myself,
1: mm-hmm.
3: "What am I doing? I'm directing a bank commercial um and I'm supposed to be making independent films, and I hadn't really made it. I hadn't really become a self sufficient director I'm still not a self sufficient director I'm not paying my bills making films really not yet um and it's been twenty years, but you don't but i but I've been humbled by my lack of success, and I almost feel like okay, I'm in this." I'm in this world, I'm in this indie world now because I get such um satisfaction from the process of making films. It's not about the adulation, it's not about the kind of respect that you get, the attention that you get. I'm not sure I get any respect, but the attention that you get there's just there's something else there's just this drive that 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 keeps me doing it, and I feel lucky that I still want to do it. You know what I mean I feel like yeah, you know, you know what I mean like I feel Hello? like at the end of the day it's it's yeah, can you hear me, yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, no, I can
3: hear you. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, so um, the, the the idea is that yeah, I just feel lucky that I still want to do it um, and, you know, can find a little bit of money to do so. So anyway, that's the long and short of it. i, I yeah, just been making movies for 20 years, and I hope to keep making them. Um, you know, I don't know if I still have the same love of watching films, and I think you get to a certain age that, you know, films, they lose their – magic, because, you know, you compare everything today with the beautiful, wonderful films of your youth, and, you know, nothing compares, because nothing feels new, nothing feels fresh. I mean, some things do, obviously, but, like, I don't know if I still love watching movies as much as I used to, but I certainly enjoy making them, you know, because
2: making them in New York, yeah, make, oh, yeah,
3: yeah, so,
2: but, yeah, so that's it, so, um, yeah, what about your current project, Black Magic for White Boys?
3: Yeah, that was a that was we, we got it, we got Catfight, um, the movie Catfight got accepted to the Toronto Film Festival of 2016, which was an incredible honor. Um, right. it's, it's a really beautiful, respected, amazing film festival with huge movie stars and huge, big budgeted films. We definitely, I definitely felt like a fish out of water when we were there, even though Anne Hayes and Sandra Oh and Alicia Silverstone are really amazing actors. I, the move, the, the budget of the film is so incredibly tiny that you know it, it's compared to all the movies that are in Toronto. But but so when we got into Toronto, the film was finished. But I felt like we ne- I needed to make another movie over the summer preceding the festival, just so I wouldn't obsess over Toronto, so I could just get my mind off of it. I mean I I, th- I feel like I work a lot just to just to keep my mind kind of occupied and to not think about like the dread of getting older and the dread of like, the, you know, the inevitable death that's waiting for all of us. Like just kind of like staying busy is a good way to, to fool myself into thinking that my mind is sharp. So Black Imagine White Boys was a film we got, uh, you know, I, I workshopped the script with a bunch of actors in the summer of 2016. We shot in August of 2016 and it was a feature film designed to be a feature film that um, I ended up cutting into, it was about 84 minutes, and I showed it to a lot of people, and people really responded to it, people liked it, but they also kept, there was a lot of overlap. A lot of people kept saying, these char- it's about a, was that this old magician in New York, he's got this kind of wily band of like um, artisans who they do a magic show with in New York, and it's all these eccentric characters and all these eccentric storylines. And all, all everyone who kept watching the movie, lots of people who kept watching it kept um, suggesting that I expanded into a TV show because um, of all the possible storylines we could venture into. Um, so I've cut the TV – I cut the feature film into four 21-minute um, episodes – uh, of a TV oh, cool. show that we're shopping, so we're shopping around now to hopefully get it made into a TV show. Now, if it doesn't get picked up and no one wants to, you know, because we're getting rejected from 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 different um, places, um, if it doesn't get picked up, we're just going to make it a feature film and shoot another 20 or 30 minutes. So the goal will be that it will always it will be seen, it will exist in some format. If it's either a six-episode series, eight-episode, ten episodes, or a feature film. The idea um I've always hesitated trying to pitch T V shows because um the whole process is very harrowing and scary to me. Like, you know, you have to you have to pitch your script. They have, and, and the network has to approve the script and then they yeah, have all to different. approve
1: totally Yeah, and then the pilot
3: it. has to get made and then the pilot has to get approved and then if the pilot doesn't get approved you've just spent all these resources and all this time pilot, developing an idea. Yeah then no one sees. So many pilots have been made that you've never that never see the light of day. And to yeah. me, it's just what a waste of resources to, to put all of your art, put all of your ideas into something that have been, invariably never gets seen. And I wanted to avoid that by saying, look, if we're going to make a TV show, let's at least do it and go all the way um, um, and, and make something that has four episodes so that um, studios can at least see a good portion of where the, where the TV series is going to go. Mm-hmm. If you show someone four episodes of something, um you can see right away if it's gonna work or not. And I think the T V oh, show is beautiful totally. and magical. And uh but the yeah, the idea is that you know, and if someone funds it, that's great. Um and if they don't, you know, we'll still release it in some kind of way. So well, you
1: know, I, the, have the a, I have a yes. Yeah.
2: I have a question. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but are you writing? No, 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 no. Um, you know what no, what I wanna do is interject here because I work with a lot of uh writers here in Sonoma, there's a lot of people that live in this area and also in this, you know, um, the guy that wrote Poltergeist and a couple other different things. Um, What I wanted to ask you, he said that what he's been doing now is he's doing these made for Netflix, like Netflix is making a lot of their own exclusive movies and series. Like, what about those series that they're doing on Netflix and on Hula and I mean, because I know my um, one attorney in LA, he represents people that just do that. They just write directly for Netflix. Is yeah, I mean that's that a you great could do.
3: I, yeah, we have a sales rep who's like pitching to to you know Hulu and Netflix, and I think they yeah. asked. I mean, I, I, they're, they're looking for something that's, I guess, not this or you know Netflix. I don't know the, in, the the specifics of how it works, the insight. You know, I don't have a contact at mm-hmm. Netflix, but I'm assuming that you know there are. My particular sales rep probably has a contact at Netflix. Showed the movie, showed the TV show to that particular contact, and it didn't mm-hmm. jive with his or her sensibilities. You know, I don't know if it ever got got past the one person. If the one person yeah, at I Netflix see. who my sales rep knows yeah. says we like the show let me take it to the next the people above me or and so we never got to that next level for us so i think it all comes down to the personal sensibilities of your contact now hulu um what i've been told is you know generating their own content their own content their own, content, their own tv shows they're not really looking for outside content i don't know um, there's a new um i think comedy platform called um, Seesaw. So. That is, I think I that we that. Uh, there was a, we I think we pitched to them and I think they passed. I mean, it's it's I can sit there and say you know as a proud filmmaker, how can anyone pass on this? This thing's brilliant. How can people not see the brilliance of it? But if it's, yeah, at the see, same time, yeah, yeah. It,
1: it's a yeah, it's That's personal beautiful. sensibilities.
3: Um, YouTube Red, like if you look at some of the stuff that they're generating, it, just based mm-hmm. on again, I haven't watched the shows. I don't think you can criticize any show until you watch the whole thing and really scrutinize it and then you can Absolutely. sit there and say whether it's good or bad Absolutely. you know there's that's anything an album a, a novel anything like the idea that someone can review a TV show based on the first two or three episodes
4: or read a you know, read a
3: few chapters of a book and then write a review or make or rec- a recommendation. Or the worst thing for me personally is like somebody watches your film, turns your film off in twenty minutes and then proclaims the film is a piece of shit. It's not good. It's I'm sorry, yeah, can I curse? See. I'm sorry if I'm, okay. No, 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 okay, You gotcha. can
1: curse. You can curse. It's okay, you know,
0: I'll try not no, i no, try to to <laughs>
1: I'm going owner. I'm
0: you? going through that with uh, a vinyl film. I have a vinyl film proposal yeah, that's been going on with my partner Lee Stewart and John Luongo and my partner Judith for uh, I'd say a year. But I've learned very much that you have to go through a lot of trial but and tribulation. Do you have a reel
2: yet together on and, that? And uh,
0: what? Do
2: you have a reel for that yet, Spencer?
0: No. Lee sends a proposal. She has a whole thing doing that a she proposal? sends. a proposal. So yeah, yeah, with with a visual but we're going to do probably more progressive thing with a with a uh, track uh with a um I can't talk. I can't. Talk. Uh with a film, you know, like a um what do you call it? You you know what I mean, owner, like a but trailer. A trailer. So oh, wait. Okay. So this, vi- this is for a record. This is for a record though, right? For an actual this vinyl is for record? a vinyl film documentary no, on the revival. Film. Oh, okay, vinyl. okay. And so we have major, have major people or... involved. I mean, I've got, wait a minute, let me talk. So we have major, major, you know, people in the music business. I mean, really high-end names. Uh, but it's been going on for a while. I know what you're talking about. And actually, I've got to tell you about this. There's a movie made that uh, that's about eight famous filmmakers, and they're big names, trying to get a film together for themselves. And it shows all the trials and tribulations they have to go through. They uh, like Amos Poe, you know, and all these other uh-huh. people. And and but by the way, the film is incredible. I, uh, I showed it, I told Lee to watch this movie. Lee Stewart. She said she couldn't say enough about it. But it's a great film because it shows the Good. you know some films you know that what? takes a long time and you got to go through the frustration, but. It, that's the way film is. So there are people yeah. that look at it, tell you they're going to do it, then they don't do it. You know, owner, right? You know that Yeah, thing. sure,
3: yeah. So, I think that's one of the reasons I'm so reluctant is that I've been burned before I've spent years developing things that, it, you know, where I
1: thought
0: it was going to happen when I was younger. I didn't even finish Wait a minute, you've got to hear this. At the end of the film, all the filmmakers make their movies. At the end of oh, the that... film, all of the filmmakers mm-hmm. made their film, no matter how long it was. It's amazing film you know it's a doc but uh oh yeah. you know amazing. what i'm saying so uh, you know you got to be patient you never know it could be a call tomorrow you get after you talked about it. Course. You, you know what i'm saying i owner saying you really got to go through to this no
2: yeah you you know there's so many different things that you have to approach sure. on that Owner, our you should, i mean you know you should know that
3: I mean, yeah that's no of course that's a well, no patience brainer. is but patience is the it's the key virtue that you have to have to get anything you know made but especially when there's so much money on the line and so many personalities and so many people Mm -hmm. that you do have to you just have to play the game and like i have no complaints about not having an agent or a manager or not really making it in terms of the the actual you know hardcore the the film world the hardcore It sounds like i'm doing pornography but the in terms of like the actual world of film like because i i've always kind of done my own thing i've been an outsider because i don't have patience and that is um you know, and that's not anything to be to be you know applauded. I just uh, I want to get. I just want to work. I just want to you know. What I, I don't fickle, and I and I have a lot of ideas. And um, I don't know. I just feel like I just I want to get things done. as you know I want to get them made, and I don't like oh. to, It just basically comes down to if you've ever had a hard drive and not backed it up, and then you lose everything on your hard drive, you back ah. it from that. On, you're, 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 you're obsessive about it. Now uh, right. I've worked I've worked on. <laughs> what? I think about what? Oh, oh the cloud, right? Wait a minute. Sure.
2: Wait a minute. I gotta interrupt yep. you. That reminds me yeah. of the scene in the movie Catfight where she thought she lost her son's information on the yes. uh,
1: the camera, right.
2: and and yes. and, and Ann goes, "Did you back oh, yeah, it up? Yeah. Did you back you it up back it to, it to, it to the cloud? cloud? <laughs> like, Bring it to the you cloud." Don't want to call I... her.
1: Right. I'm going to put the caller
2: in Let's see who's calling in Hold on a minute Let's see who it is 347 You're on the line Who's this Hello Can you hear me Sorry oh, yeah. Ariel
1: Cavusi oh, Ariel Cavusi hey, 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 Ariel I love you Ariel The Blue Buddy been...
2: Artist The Blue Buddy Artist You were my fa- One of my favorite Oh my god So cute Holly <laughs> I am dying to meet you Oh Adorable oh,
4: Oh, thank, <laughs> Thanks for saying that. I've been um, <laughs> listening to you guys, so I'm glad oh. to, I got it. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to call in, but um, I'm tell glad I, I had tell the chance us. to talk to you. No, tell
2: everyone what part you play in Catfight, because for all of you that haven't seen it, and I saw it last night, I fell in love with your character. I think it's, you were adorable. I love Blue, by the way. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no. So, tell everyone a little bit about what part you play in this movie because it's adorable.
4: Oh, um, thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, my uh, this is Ariel Cabucci I play um, Sally in Catfight, an owner's movie, Catfight, and um, that's I play uh, Anne Hush is a is an artist, and I play uh, her assistant, and we kind of. Have it yeah she's emotionally abusive towards me we have our it's called catfight. fight totally. an, psychological <laughs> yeah. uh abuse catfight in a psychological way, not with fists but uh in how she, in in the mind it's all in the mind between us
0: Ariel, you know my favorite part is is where ann Hesh is staying at your house. And you say something to her. Remember that line? That's the funniest thing says, we have.
2: and says to her, "Don't feel you don't feel sorry for me." And then you respond, "I don't. I think I think you said I don't. I'm actually <laughs> enjoying this
1: or something." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The best revenge is success. The best
3: revenge is success. I love that idea that you know that you can passively, you can like passively aggressively get revenge on someone just by being your best self by. Making you work harder. I think that that that's kind of a key is like not getting so, um, uh, you know, just destroyed by bitterness and jealousy and and, and and resentment that you use that as fuel to fuel fuel your success. And, and, and I like that idea. You know,
2: it was There's so something. cute. Her character is adorable, and I mean, it's so <laughs> great. And I love the blue bunny. No. And you know, just the whole the whole thing.
4: Tell me yeah, what it, it concept, was like for yeah. you
2: to be working on this project. Was it was it fun? Well, th-
4: yeah. Thank you for saying all those. Thank you for saying that. Um. Yeah. I mean, it was very surreal acting with, you know, a legendary film actor, people who will inspire me. Um. But it was great, and I learned a lot from. Ann and Sandra just watching them and their process um, mm. doing things I felt that I was some, I've always been kind of afraid to do, but then I was like, oh, they're doing this. So I, their method, it's okay if I use their method. Um, so yeah, it was yeah. great. And, um, but yeah, everybody has their own style. I kind of, you know, I've been doing indie film things for a while, and um, we were just talking, Owner, Owner and I were just talking how I had a little bit of stage fright at first, but then uh, we got into mm. the groove. <laughs> a little you bit. You were adorable. Oh, uh,
0: Ariel, I've <laughs> got to cut in here, because we know that you're in Applesauce, and you play a policewoman. Tell us about that film.
4: Yeah, so I, that's Owner's other film, and uh, he... I, yeah, everybody should check out his movies, they're great, and um, that is where I play a police officer, you know, <laughs> it's obviously a, it's a comedy, if you can hear yep. my voice, like, um, but that's, that's, uh, was also fun, I've been, you know, I'm a filmmaker, so I make my own film work, and I've always acted in my own film work, and that's the story of how I started getting cast in Part of it is just hanging out
3: with other filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Part of the idea of applesauce means? was, yeah, part of the, the idea of applesauce casting Ariel as a, a police officer is that her partner is really tall and really big and has kind of a deep kind of Brooklyn <laughs> accent. You know, and Ariel has, you know, she's of course more diminutive, and her voice couldn't be more opposite. So I think that juxtaposition, that contrast plays that's really true. well. It's really, really funny. Yeah. And again, you know, using Ariel's distinct voice, you know, things like Catfight, cat just hearing her th- say things like the blue bunnies like mustard and <laughs> I want to eat mustard, it's just, it, and Ariel is effortlessly funny without trying to be funny. And I think that's right. what's kind of yeah. brilliant about her um, as an actor. She's effortless. And I tell you, one of the things, my one of my favorite scenes in Catfight is when Anne Hayes is Screaming at her about using blue labels on the art, it, I think it's a heartbreaking yeah. scene. Like, you know, it, I'm, I, I've got a I, yeah, I've
1: got a cool streak in me,
3: so when someone's abused, I I laugh at that. Um, but at the same time, it, it's devastating to see Ariel's facial expressions as Anne screaming oh, at yeah. her, and I think, so and, it, and it makes the. It, and it makes the ending her last scene I think that much more vindicating when she actually does kind of win that battle. The movie's actually about Sandra O oh versus Anne Hege. There's also conflict between um Ariel and Anne the, the you know, Anne Hage's character and Ariel and I think that's one of the that's one of the one of the conflicts in the movie where you actually see resolution and you have a clear cut winner, which is Ariel wins that kind of battle which is which is a kind of a beautiful thing in the movie and Ariel it's actually you you you've lived in New York and you've actually experienced being um, an assistant to a a domineering cruel um, self-important artist right like did you draw on that to play the character I never asked you that um
4: um, wow I mean I wouldn't say that but I definitely you hang out in New York there are a lot of like you know, there are a lot of big egos around, a lot of underappreciated artists around. So uh, it seems familiar to me, this type of dynamic. Uh, but, um... Uh, wow. Well, um, that yeah, would be
1: I mean, so that, hard.
4: I think for that story arc, it's just people, like my character, is just the most... We don't want to give everything away in case no one's seen it, but it's just very emotionally, it seems to be very gratifying for people. Um, so I thank Owner for doing that. But I said for my next role, I'd like to play a villain. I'd like to play a Ooh, very evil that character. would be good.
2: I That's want cool. Owner Ooh, Yeah.
4: Yep. an Yeah, her, so a villain. I'd like to maybe be a great
2: different. villain.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
4: That's my next, hopefully my next uh, thing. But, um, but yeah, certainly, you know, this is a mostly female cast, and there's unfortunately, you know, in the patriarchy, you know, women are sometimes the most complicit in their own oppression. So they can start treating each other like garbage when they should be building each other up. It's got so I think owner tapped into that whole dynamic.
0: Uh, Definitely. Yeah. I have to I have to Definitely. cut in here because I haven't had my chance to talk about my part in the movie with your mother, Ariel Judith. We were uh, extras in the gallery scene, and it, it was a big honor to be in this film, Honor. Because you're like a I call you a cult filmmaker. That's why uh, yeah, uh categorized. I, I, and uh, yeah, we were we that. had a lot of fun. And that scene is really heavy. I mean, in the gallery, the fight scene is it's really great. heavy. Yeah. And right. And, and, uh, you
4: guys, yeah, you were great. My mom's in it. So, but, um, yeah, I it,
0: yeah.
2: being an extra, being an extra in a movie is just like so much fun because you get to see everything behind yeah. the, behind yeah. the scenes. And you know what I wanted to say to Ariel was, um, you know, when you said, when, when owner was talking about you working for somebody, maybe that was a little abusive you know, it reminds me of that movie, *The Devil Wears Prada*. Remember how
4: oh. that was?
2: That like...
4: I have to see that. Whoa. did you see that older? Was that? It? Yes, oh,
3: yeah, yeah, Anne yeah. Hathaway cool. and cool. Meryl Streep. That's a great movie. Yeah, yeah Anne Hathaway's brilliant. Meryl Streep's brilliant. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. I'm starting I mean, to realize. I have a bad, bad temper, and I'm starting to mellow out a little bit and understand that Mm
1: -hmm. it's a product
3: of self-insecurity, but also extreme self-importance, and when I catch myself yelling and getting angry, I'm just like, I mean, you're not this important to get this upset. Nothing is this important that you're getting this upset about, and it's helping me kind of deal with my own humility and and become more humble, you know what I mean? Um, Failure does that for sure, but at the same time, I still have a bad temper problem, and and I
1: don't
0: know,
2: this oh. the idea that you, if you're creating... You, a bad well, <laughs> well, you know what? I saw him
0: yeah. on the set. Holly, I was on the set. So, I mean, I've seen... I saw him work. And the way order works is really interesting. I mean, he's very fast. You work very fast, but you're very smart. And you manage to put all the things in an order. It really intrigued me how you worked on the set. I've been on mm-hmm. sets before on film, but that one... That, this film was very interesting to watch. How you worked, you're very, um, you're very smart. You get things done very quickly. I notice, and you get the thing done, or well, whatever has got to be done. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot, yeah, but,
2: but a lot goes into a film. I know that. I used to work. Yeah, but when I first moved to LA, I worked in film, but not behind the scenes. But I worked for I worked for the Shapiro's, and that was during when they were doing Dallas and stuff like that. So I oh, got wow. to see what went on. It was a big production. I mean, it was like huge. Just so much goes into it, you know. But you know what I wanted to say about Sandra? She's in one of my favorite movies, and I was telling this to Spencer earlier today, was Under the Tuscan Sun. Have you ever seen that movie?
3: Um, That's the one with uh, with the girl from the, out- the lady from The Outsiders, beautiful lady who's in Italy, yep. right? She's got kind of- a, Get Your Life yeah. Back in Order.
1: Yeah. I have seen yeah, that movie,
3: actually. What is Diane Lane? Mm-hmm. Diane Lane, right. Um, Diane Lane. Yeah. What, what, what's what your, your
1: favorite
4: um, Sandra Oh movie? Oh, no. Why
0: did you it's, cast Sandra, Sandra Oh? Sandra Oh was in... Remember the movie yeah. about the wine vineyard, the two guys who go to a oh, wine vineyard? Oh, Sideways, yeah, Sideways. Yeah, I actually sideways. gave Sandra
1: Oh There's
0: a scene where she actually punches...
3: Um, Oh yeah, um, yeah, the, the guy. guy, the guy. <laughs> right. What what the hell is his name? I I, I love the actor. Yeah, yeah, uh, he's, he's
1: funny. Okay, he but let's let's
3: finish that thought. Fu- let's finish that fun. So okay, so um, under yeah. So what? So Holly, you like that movie? Sand, what is Sandra playing that? I can't remember who she plays in that.
0: You there, Holly? Hello. Holly, is this a- Hello? Sometimes it drops off for some reason. Uh, oh, okay. But but anyway. Oh, um, well, well, who's on the air then? Are we on the air? Or is she on the air? Oh by yeah, herself? no, we're on the air. You're you're oh, we're okay, on the she air. Dropped off. Holly okay, dropped may have a. She's calling from outside, so it might be something. Let happens. me do. Uh,
3: well, I want to finish two thoughts that started earlier. We were going back to the hard drive when I said that um, you know, getting having patience uh, and trying to get a TV show off the ground or any big budgeted film off the ground, it takes extreme patience it's almost like if you've had a hard drive crash. And what I meant by that was if you've had a hard drive crash without a backup, you never save your things on a hard drive after that without backing it up, right? Like I yeah. not yeah, back yeah. things up on two or three drives because I've had a valuable hard drive crash with lots of things. Now, the way I, I, I compare that to not having patience in the film game and why I'm I back. don't really – you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm finishing a real quick thought, which is – Basically, I have I have tried to develop TV show or a feature film that took a year and a half of my life. When it didn't happen, it's basically like losing that hard drive and like having a backup. And I told myself, I'm not going to develop. I mean, if I develop something for a year and a half, I'm going to do it. While I make other films, I'm going to make other films while I'm developing other things. And that's kind of the goal. I mean, I am definitely trying to do things that are higher budgeted. Black Magic for White Boys is a TV show that might take two years to get you know, find, find a distributor or find someone to give us the rest of the money. But at the same time, I'm planting lots of other seeds, which is how you're supposed to do it. And so, but Holly, the um, so Tuscan Sun, Sandra O's Great, Dallas, in the 80s, what did you do on Dallas?
1: Well,
2: you know what? It They were the ones that did Dallas. We were filming a vampire movie. It was after Dallas was already done. What we did was um, we were doing a vampire movie up in the Hollywood Hills at one of the Frank Lloyd Wright houses, and um, it, I was a production assistant. So basically <laughs> I had to make sure things were where they were supposed to be And uh, everyone was where they were supposed to be and extras were there and people had schedules and stuff like that. So it was pretty, it was pretty intense. And, uh, Spencer and I were talking about it earlier because he said, Oh yeah, I was an extra in the movie. And I said, yeah, I saw you last night in it. And I said, I saw you looking at the the painting and then I saw you behind and head when you were in the gallery (laughs) scene. And I said, I remember that. And, uh, I said, yeah. There's so much that goes into that, and then I was talking to him about all the different extras and all the different people oh, that, yeah. you know, how how it were, how it worked then. It was just mm. so interesting.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. And I tell uh, you, Spencer.
0: Yeah, yeah Spencer can say that. I'm a. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, Spencer. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I want Ari over? Yeah. Yeah. Still here. Tell, yeah. us, tell us a bit about your new movie. Tell us a bit about your new film out there. Just a second of R.E.L. plug here.
4: Oh, sure. Um, I have a short film that I just premiered at Maryland, which stars myself opposite Corrigan, who is in The Get Down, and he's been in a million indie movies. And um, this guy named Bob biotin is actually... Primarily, he's an indie filmmaker, but also he's acted in some Hal Hartley movies and Alex Ross Perry stuff. Um, So, yeah, it's a dark comedy. Um, We're going to have a screening in New York. Um, Anybody can find me. I have social media, and I have social media for my film. So if anyone wants to be kept up to date on when that is or when our next screening is, um, that's the best place to just Twitter or Facebook. What's the name of it.
0: the film, Ariel?
4: It's called uh, The Poet and the Professor, and it's a dysfunctional love triangle. It's okay. a dark sex Ooh. comedy. <laughs> it's a dark okay. sex comedy. Um, yeah. So stay tuned. I actually have to run now, but it was really great talking to you guys, and thank you for having me.
0: Oh, great, um, Ariel. Thank you so for being here, Ariel.
4: And I, I'm going to listen to back. this. Oh, that would be great. I'd love that. I would yeah. love to have
2: you back, and 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 then maybe Spencer can put me in touch with you because I have some ideas for you yep. in regards to a couple projects. Okay.
4: Yeah, that that would be yeah. great. That okay. Would, I'd love that. I I should say All that right. my short film um before I leave, I'm I'm making I'm developing it into a feature length film. That's the next thing I'm doing. But oh, I'm cool. from, I'm, a, I'm around New York City, so I'd love that. Okay, awesome. I'll talk to you guys
1: soon. Thank okay, you. Bye. Have a beautiful bye. weekend. Bye, owner. Bye, you bye. 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 So, you.
2: So, so, so <laughs> okay. owner, have you, Um, you know, I've worked on a couple documentary type things, too, like Flow, which is all about water advocation. And, oh, yeah. Um, I think my
3: friend Gil Holland um, may have been a producer on that. Yes, I, yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Gil Holland, yeah.
2: We... We premiered a lot of stuff out here and um a lot you know, and I've been involved more in things like that where we were doing a lot of documentary type things. Movies and films are really fun, especially when like they're like fun like what you've done. I really wanna talk about your other films, which is Richard's Wedding, Summer of Blood, Applesauce, Abby Singer Songwriter and then Cat Fight and then um you, yourself, are an actor, which is very amazing. I have to tell everyone, I loved it. When I looked at some of these films, Onar was in some of these films where he plays, like, a major part, like in the Abbey Singer-Songwriter, and you were in that, and um, that was really cute. And, um, I mean, it's just great. I love your whole character. And then you've done some other You've acted in several films, including Red Flag, Booger Red, Summer of Blood, and then, of course, obviously, Applesauce. Summer of Blood was funny.
0: That was Su- Summer oh, of Blood, blood. Yeah. Wait a minute. i got to cut in on this. Summer of Blood was on Showtime. I saw that film on yep. Showtime, owner, and that had a lot of play there. Uh, tell us about so that movie, cute. Summer of Blood.
3: Yeah. that movie changed my that movie changed my life in a lot of ways and i still that's the movie where i can be in a bar or or running around new york city especially when it's playing on showtime and people will stop me and they won't you know Aww. it won't be just people saying oh oh i know you it, it, people some people can be like fanatical about that film and they they there are huge fans of that film which makes me feel good it makes me feel like Oh, wow, well, the movie achieved what it's supposed to do, which is supposed to elicit a reaction because the movie is so obnoxious and so absurd, but it does have a very specific, concrete point of view, and it has a lot to say about fear of commitment and responsibility and this idea of feeling dead inside, but at the same time feeling liberated by a lack of responsibility. Um, The movie, you know, when, when it played at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2014, it really was kind of a game changer for me, not in and, in and, and the in the sense that it, I um, the movie sold to a company called MPI, which I formed a relationship with. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Greg mm-hmm. Greg Newman out there, and they uh they bought the yeah. film. It was the first film I'd ever made that actually we made a little bit of money in the sense that we could pay our investors their money back. Um, mm-hmm. In which my friend Clifford McCurdy is a dear friend of mine, and he put some money into it. I put a little bit of money into it, and we both got our money back. And we were able to take the, the money out that uh, above the profit, I guess, in the black, and we just distributed that to the to the people who That's worked awesome. on the film. So everybody who worked on it got paid. It didn't get paid much, but at the same time, compared to normal daily rates on an independent film, we paid more than that, which was great. Again, you know, we're shooting the movie in nine days, and so we have a very swift, fast schedule, which is not unlike television, you know, because TV production has to go very quickly. Mm-hmm. Probably Dallas in the 80s probably had – they would probably shoot an episode. I don't know about the 80s. It might have been different, but now TV never,
2: shows i never yeah, i was never actually on that one, but you know what? I I I like worked with them on movies that they were doing after that, but I heard that Dallas they they shot a lot of them all at the same time.
1: Yeah, they sure. Shot, you would like, shoot the whole
2: yeah. 5 or yeah. 6 all at the same time for one whole series, like, you know, like you know, um like when they have like a year's worth of whatever, they do maybe five or six at one time, which is kind of fun, I guess. But, um,
3: yeah, just, um, well, you know, it keeps you, you know, you have to work very steady, you have to be very focused. Uh-huh. The thing about these film sets is we just work very, very quickly, but it's also, there's no time for kind of like, there's no time for lethargy. There's no time for, like, lollygagging, as they sound, say in the South. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to focus and knock down. The thing about acting in my own movies is that um, I kind of write from, you know, from my own point of view. I'm just kind of taking all my fears and neuroses, whatever's occurring at the time, and I just kind of put them into the script that I'm writing. Now, in the sense of Summer of Blood, you know, this was about I was turning 40, the year I made summer of blood and, and and the thing that was omnipresent in my mind and still is is this kind of shame of not having um, been brave enough or, uh, or to, to make a commitment to someone to get married or to have children. I keep mm. skewing mm. respons- uh, av- uh, avoiding responsibility mm. so that was you know for me and my love of, of kind of b movie horror um, I was like, well, let me put all that into uh, a kind of a horror film and it would make it kind of a neurotic dialogue, chatty, dialogue-driven so kind of horror film.
1: It was mm. so I'm funny. really
3: pleased with it. I'm really happy that um that it, people responded to it, you know? Like, I'm not mm-hmm. saying the movie's uh, – I mean, I, I have a lot of love for the movie, obviously, but, you know, it got on Showtime. It got on Netflix. It's on Netflix now. People awesome. hate the movie. People love the movie, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. no, yeah. and that's what – and it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to elicit a reaction, and it and it is it's, – it's the kind of film that has – um, you know, a very specific point of view where I could see how people could look at it and be appalled by it, and people look at it and think, oh, man, I have, I, 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 this is, I have some solidarity with that film. I think like that. I, too, am an outsider. I, too, am a freak. I, too, am afraid of, uh, you know, commitment, or I, too, am like, you know, thinking that death. There's, there's, he makes an admission right before he's bitten by the vampire. Ha, about 30 mm-hmm. minutes into the film, my character says, "You know, I, I'm not afraid to die because if I died, at least I could avoid a lot of responsibility of having to make something oh, of myself, having to, oh, you know." Man. And I, I think, and, and to me, that is the summary of the film. I mean, the character does change. Mm-hmm. He does end up. Well, he changes and he does, doesn't change. But to me, that is like I, I'm as I get older, losing my self-importance, having less fear of flying, having less fear of like. Um, uh, the inevitable death that's coming for all of us. Like, the idea of, like, saying, look, I'm lucky I've lived to be 44, everything's okay. But at the same time, what are the benefits of dying? Like,
1: I don't have to worry
3: about, like, making something of myself, which is, like, it's very self-deprecating. I don't Uh... want to die. It's also, it's not completely, it's got a little disingenuous. But I thought that was the joke of the film, and this idea that a guy who the world wouldn't care if he died anyway – Gets to live forever. Mm-hmm. This this schmuck, you know what I mean? Who, who the world would be better off if he didn't live is able to continue living, and it's very influenced.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I I
3: identify with the solipsistic kind of maniacs of cinema that have kind of existed. There's Christian Bale was in a movie called American Psycho. I'm not comparing myself to Christian Bell, brilliant actor, but American Psycho to me is like the template that I was, I think, trying to emulate. Uh, and Nicolas Cage was in a really great movie in the 80s called Vampire's Kiss, and he imagined himself yeah, yeah. being, uh, being bitten by a vampire, and it's almost a metaphor for his own kind of neurotic psychosis. I remember that. It's a yeah. really, really great movie, but it's all based on just his outrageous, unhinged performance. Now, one of the things I love about Highway to Hell at the beginning of the of – that he played this, is one of my favorite songs. Oh, yeah. It's pure rock and roll. You know, it's unhinged. But there's something about the celebration of like being part of the dark side, going to hell as the promised land. To me, is like there's something beautiful in that <laughs> oxymoronic kind of, you know, that kind of like that, that that idea that you know I'm going to the promised land. I'm going to hell. I'm I'm not good enough for heaven, but I'm just right for hell, and I'm celebrating my demise. I'm <laughs> celebrating my d- d- descent. You know what I mean? So I've always, but more, but at the same time, it's just got an emotional rawness. That that's what I'm always trying to kind of achieve in my movies, the sense of, like, real gritty rock and roll is, is, is right. it's kind of what I love. Now, I, I wish I had the the budgets for music to really utilize music in a film the oh, way someone like Tarantino or, or – yeah, what's that? Oh, oh Tarantino. Matching. Wait a oh, minute. Yeah.
0: Tarantino is really great at that raw stuff. And you know what gets me? Tarantino was influenced by your – B movies. You know the motorcycle B movies? Oh motor- yeah, no, he has a love and esteem for that stuff. Yeah, of course.
3: You can fill it in his work and his film is although it's you polished know? and craft wise, it's great. But he also has the money to use any song that he wants. You know he what I mean? Does. Like, th- he and, does and
1: and, and you he have does.
3: and you have a great rock yeah. and roll song. I mean, I think I think I think Summer of Blood has great music. DeVoe Yates is my music oh, supervisor. He, and he's able to find really obscure, really interesting songs for really cheap. But, uh, but I don't know, there's just so rawness and, a, and, and just a movie having a vitality, having life. And, again, going back, circling back to Catfight, I think Anne Hayes and Sandra Oh, um, it, I just think their performances are so unhinged, yet controlled, yeah. yet meticulous, yet methodical. I just think they're terrific. Um, I, you know, and also, too, you know, the movie has to make concessions because it's a low budget. We're working on a tight schedule, right. So they're having to do all of the – they're doing amazing work under the limitations. Uh, it's a very curtailed film. Like we have to work – I'm not trying to make excuses for the film. I look at the film and I cringe at some of the production value, especially in the, in the art scene, Spencer, that you're in. Like that's – you know, the art is not supposed to be – in cheap plastic black frames. If she's a respected, <laughs> reputed artist, you know right. what I mean? Right. Like,
0: you should – I was saying. Yeah. But, but, but i got to you, <laughs> i got uh, You know, owner, I, you know, I have a film – I follow Doc Film. My father was an editor. I don't know if you know that in motion pictures. So I've oh, always yeah, I didn't know. But, but Doc Film, there's a lot – and you know this. There's a lot of Doc Films that were made very, very – Low budget. I mean, we're going to, like, the Honeymoon Killers or something like that. Oh, where, sure, where, yeah. Where, where, where there's no money, but it's so great. I mean, it's a cult film, and everybody wants to see it after a while. So there's the thing about me that I understand what you're talking about, but I like that. I, all, I like the fact that sometimes you're working on Raw, you have really little budget, but you can do... It becomes a great thing. it can become a great thing at that area Absolutely. oh i oh yeah. of course yeah you have to get
3: you have to be very, very imaginative with your yeah. ideas because you don't have the money to solve right. everything for you, so you have to be practical in, in your execution and I yeah. love movies that are raw and have, and I feel like in a way like c g CGI has taken away the magic of like the raw kind of um, yeah. rugby, kind mm-hmm. of you know the, you know kind of um, animatronics that we used to have you know yeah totally you know so.
2: overproduced like music is. I have to interrupt real quickly. Um, I want to yeah. say to everyone that may have tuned in late, um, you can listen to the show It's an entirety afterwards on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio right under the Indie Cafe or on iTunes. And if you're just tuning in, if you want to call in, the number is three four seven six seven seven one zero three six. We have um, again, we're talking about Catfight and all the other great movies that Owner Sakel has made. And I am just really, 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 really excited about this. I have a question for you. That yeah. this is a this is kind of like a tech, technical question um first of all i know shooting on location is a lot um and you have to find places there are recently i know that there are places that you can shoot film in that the city even out of out of country they'll pay you to shoot in their country because of the fact that they want the revenue or they want this or that where did you shoot on location and and um What did you find in regards to that and, you know, shooting on location versus going out of country or going somewhere that will pay you back for filming in their city?
3: It's funny you said that. The movie that, like, you know – I developed a movie called Infected, a vampire film that never got made for a year and a half. And one of the things we'd planned on doing was shooting in Puerto Rico and taking advantage mm-hmm. of the tax incentive there. I think the idea was that yeah. at the time, which was probably ten years ago, for every dollar you spent, you got, um, I think, thirty-three percent of that dollar back. So if you spent whatever yeah. three hundred thousand, it would be like a this- 400 uh, 450 thousand dollar film. Uh, my mm-hmm. friend Michael Tully just made a movie in Ireland, and I think that you know the tax incentives are even greater mm-hmm. than yeah. that. I am from North Carolina, and until recently, North Carolina had a pretty generous tax generous tax incentive that um, led to lots of productions coming to North Carolina to film. And since then, exactly. the governor, the, the past governor, yeah, got rid of it, and, and and the legislature voted it out. And I think a lot of the production. Just there was a mass exodus. They just all left. Um, I've only made movies in two states: North Carolina. My first three, four movies were made in North Carolina, and my last six what have that, been made in New York. No yeah, that out
2: of the country, because so, Finland, I heard, is really giving great, you know, uh, discounts. Europe is really giving great discounts to people that shoot on location
3: yeah i mean yeah I, I i would love to make a movie especially Canada. anywhere that i will go i will follow the money if there, if they you know if someone in finland said here's a check for whatever amount of money and i feel like i could make a movie based on it and i could mm-hmm. pay myself a livable wage for a few months i would and i was given creative control or, or there was a great group of people i would be working with i would do it like um but i don't know i don't know the ins or outs because i'm not in that world um I think there's a filmmaker named Nate Silver. I know he's a filmmaker. He's a really talented, prolific filmmaker in New York. And I think he just made a movie in Paris. And I'd be curious to know what France's incentives are. Uh, You know, I'd love to make a movie in Wrocław, Poland. I'd love to make a movie in. I'm I'm going. I'm supposed to go to Turkey in October. Uh, for a film res- retrospective in Istanbul of my work, I don't know. I, I don't know the details yet. It hasn't been ironed out. It could fall through. But I'm curious to know more about like what 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 Turkey is, what tries to do if anything to invite mm-hmm. investment in, in the country. Um, you know, I'd love to make a movie in Turkey at some point. Although that makes me a little bit nervous because I have a big mouth and you're not supposed to criticize. I mean, I'm just you're, you're,
1: <laughs> Turkey is not one
3: of these free countries where you can criticize them. And I, you know, my films are all about just an op- openly critical of anything and everything. My new movie, The Misogynist, is criticized, criticizes everyone. And in a way, Catfight is kind of um, is kind of a platform for criticizing the right and left and the reactionary policies of the Bush administration during the up- run-up to the war in Iraq. It's criticizing health care policy. It's criticizing artists. It's criticizing self-important. Um, oh, you the, know. Names are
2: the, uh, the names of the trees. The names of the trees. There's Hillary. There's um, <laughs> Donald. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> and then I Bernie, right. And, and
3: the great Amy that. Hill. Amy Hill plays uh, Sandra Oh's, um aunt in uh-huh. the movie, and yes. she's really brilliant. And, uh, yeah, that was one of those Zeitgeist jokes that I kind of – it wasn't in the original script. And we were shooting – we shot the movie in December of 2015, and it was the last oh. day of shooting for Amy Hill, who was brilliant. She plays kind of a hippy-dippy kind of paganistic – um, kind of mm-hmm. hippie that lives on this little, uh, you know, this kind of little cabin out in the woods, away from like civilization, away from the city. She's kind of escaped everything. She's kind of, you know, living in the wilderness and she's critical of everything she's almost misanthropic she she would want nothing more than for mother nature and for the environment to destroy and wipe out mankind to Gaya. get away to get rid of she the, wants you know Gaia. she wants Gaia <laughs> Gaia the tentacles of Gaia will rise up and squelch humanity in the of mankind right and I think it's really the tentacles you know um
1: <laughs> so she
3: she was she is so brilliant and so amazing yes. and um, it was her last
1: day of shooting and sensor. we, we it,
3: it, it was one of the really rare, rare rare days where we had a few hours to kill, and we had a few extra hours. Amy was on her way to the airport. We had two hours extra with her. We shot all her scenes, and I oh, thought, we've wow. we got to add one more scene. We've got to have one more scene. And I wrote those lines on a napkin and gave them to Sandra and, and uh, Amy, and we kind of discussed it, kind of changed the lines a little bit, and made that great scene where she goes around naming the trees. And oh, it always gets awesome. a really big laugh. Yeah, it was. it's cool. Usually a lot of – Scenes in a movie are the ones that aren't even scripted. They're impro- improvised, or you yeah. kind yeah. of you
0: create them as you're going. Like one you know, K, you one in The one take.
2: How, would, as how as is the owner,
0: K. how is it directing yeah. both of them? How is it directing both of them?
3: Well, I mean, you know, I was intimidated because I, you know, I, I they're they're huge actors, and why would they take direction from some no name who hasn't really worked with anyone of their caliber? But they were incredible respect, incredibly respectful of me. They were respectful of the script, but at the same time, you know, they also were very protect. They protected the, the You know, they're the artists. They have the characters. They're protecting their character. So if right. we disagreed, yeah. they, you know, we we would. You know, we we would have discussions about this. There would no one. We were all very open, very forthright with each other, and um, and it was great. They were just th- th- no egos. I mean, these these. I mean, Anne Hesh has been in films starring opposite of Harrison Ford. You know what I mean? Like Sandra is an absolutely huge mega star. Like everywhere we went, and women least, from the ages yeah, of sixteen to no, forty.
2: yeah, at least silverstone. Yeah. She's
3: brilliant. They're all yeah. big movie stars. But they're hugely just they just were really grounded in regular people. And when I met right. each of them mm-hmm. before we made the film, I was very adamant about look, I, I I'm so I was so appreciative that they read the script, that they were interested in the movie. I wanted to make sure that they did it. I wanted to make sure that I would, that we would try to make the film set as um, you know as comfortable as possible so that they could they would do the movie. But at the same time, I told them, look, in order for me to direct it and make the best film that I could, you guys have to, if you have any Hollywood egos, leave them at the door. This is a low-budget movie. This is, mm. you know, I, I, they all watched Applesauce. Applesauce is a $75,000 film made on two Canon C300s. These are $15,000 cameras, right? And yep. as, as they watched it, and I said, look, you've seen Applesauce. in if, if, the quality of Applesauce is gritty. It's very low-budget. No, make no mistake about it, it looks like a low-budget film, but it has, I think it has strong acting and, and interesting performances, and I think it's really well-made for the budget that it is. And I said, I said and Sandra Alicia, if the quality of cat fight is the same as um, Applesauce, is that okay with you? You're not going to have a problem with it it's going be they're going to be tiny crews of 10 to 15 people and they were like, of course we just like the script we want to make something interesting Sandra was really real I was so I, god I felt so um, I was so proud because Sandra had not really made a major you know major film since Leaving Grey's Anatomy two or three years ago, this right. was going to be her, mm-hmm. most, her, her biggest project that she did, and it was a, it's a tiny movie. Our crew was about 25 people, but still, you know, the budget of the film was probably one third of what Sandra would probably get paid on a Grey's Anatomy episode right. at, at the end of her tenure. You know, it's like it's, like yeah. it's pennies. It's, it's no budget, basically. I say it's the biggest budget I've ever had, but it's still pennies to the dollar, it's just nothing.
0: Well, uh you know, you know you know it's interesting because I saw an inter- I I saw a great I've seen you know a lot of uh you know film interviews but George Kukor was talking about the relationship he had with Marley uh with uh, uh with uh what's that famous act oh my god I can't believe it. Not Marley, I'm sorry I teacher. got
2: disconnected again I didn't need to come in on like that but you know oh. what I don't know what's going on with the lines today I keep
0: getting disconnected worry it's about very it. odd Is owner but, there You know Yeah yeah I'm owner. here I, I owner. Yeah yeah. I, I, I just area. want to answer that question. Think, I, I just want to ask him that question. Judge Cooker was interviewed on Turner. It was a film on George Cooker uh, uh the, the the actress who played Ninachka, you know uh, Greta Garbo. Okay. So mm-hmm. he, why I asked you that question because he said he had the greatest relationship with her in the film. But she was a type of actress, you know, with another director, may have been harder to work with. You know what I'm saying? That's why I oh, brought yeah. that up. Your relationship—that's the reason I brought it up. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah, no, I mean that's the thing too. It's like you know, actors need to be comfortable. They need to trust you. Trust is a really, yeah, really yeah.
0: big deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like,
3: and look, and look, I respected from the very moment all those actresses walked on set. Like, you know, I'm the director, but at the end of the day, I, they're not—they're going to do what they want. And I'm going to respect their decisions. You know, it's like if they—if yeah. I give a direction they don't agree with. Sandra, Sandra was very quick, and Anne were quick to say that. I don't—that's not. I don't agree with that. That's not how I yeah. see it. And this is, you and I'm doing, so I respected that. And, and, and it was a, it was a mutual collaboration. That's, that's, that's how I direct films anyway. I mean, I, I, somebody has to ha, have the last say, someone has to make the decision that is the director. So, I mean, I don't, I'm not a pushover, but at the same time, we're on a schedule we have to work quickly and we have to all work together and that that's everybody, And you know, everybody has a voice. I mean, I'm the, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm giving directions to the, the actors, but if um, I, I'm not opposed to anyone giving creative ideas to anyone right. else. Right.
1: Um,
3: if, 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 you know, this never happened, but if the producer or the production assistant, maybe the producer, if Gigi, I think Gigi and Sandra, everybody loved Gigi, the producer. She's so great that I felt like, Gigi could and probably did give some direction to actors, and and you know there was there was that kind of um, everyone understood the nature of the relationship that Gigi, uh, you know we're all we just have profound respect for her. But 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 Gigi gives somebody direction, an actor direction or production designer, photographer. If the actor wants to take the notes from from the person on set, and and they agree with the notes, that's fine. I mean like I I, I'm not going to be threatened by that because at the end of the day. My goal is to make sure whatever we're shooting is great on camera. And whoever contributes mm-hmm. an idea that helps make the scene better, you know, the, the audience doesn't know where that idea came from. I and mean, it doesn't matter. On a film set, it is an engine. Everybody's a cog. Everybody's working together. You know what I mean? And if, exactly. and if the scene's not working... If a scene's not working and I and I open it up and people are contributing ideas, I feel lucky that I'm getting those ideas from people. Well, that's you know, what I'm I, saying.
0: You're lucky to work with people that are amiable to you, and especially some of the big names. That, that's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm saying you're lucky to have that's that.
1: That's perfect. Uh, because
0: that does, you know this, Holly. It doesn't always happen. You know that. It doesn't yeah, always no, happen. Yeah, no,
2: and that was my next question to you, was how did you decide, um, well, on most of your films, but on this one specifically, Cap, fight. How did you decide that these were the people that you wanted in the film? Yeah. What what was your deciding factor? How did you decide to cast?
3: Well, the movie was designed for, you know, two women that were in their 40s, you know what I mean? It all it all mm-hmm. The catalyst for that was uh, a news story that I read years ago where you know the actress Maggie Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal's mm-hmm. sister. she's a great actress. She was in a movie called Cherry Baby. It's a brilliant, brilliant movie. To me, it's still one of her best performances, and it's just a beautiful, brilliant indie film, or any for any film, it's great. And there was, and she's a great, great actress. And uh, there was a story circulating, going around the internet or wherever the hell it was that I read it, that talked about how she had been passed up, she'd been rejected for a role um, to play the mistress of a 57-year-old character actor. I, you know, she and she was oh, wow. seen as too old. The casting director or the directors or the producers or whatever, whoever the powers that be, the cast actresses, thought Maggie Hall, yes, she's brilliant. Yes, she's beautiful. Yes, she's she's a, a great on, on camera, and she's known. But you know something? She's a little too old. At the old age of 38, she's too old. And I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, if Maggie Hall is too old to play the mistress of a 58-year-old actor, that um, opens up that opens up opportunities for low-budget filmmakers like myself. I can, there's a mm-hmm. way to possibly get, um, you know, an actress. There's just a glut of roles for women that are more experienced, that are of that, are that age, 38 and older, 35 and older, whatever. You know, the, the, Holly, the culture loves to celebrate youth. You know, YouTube mm-hmm. read supposedly our our, our sales rep for Black Magic for White Boys showed someone at YouTube Red our our, our, our TV show, and the response was, yeah, yeah, it's good, but, you know, we're we're looking for, for shows that are targeted towards a really, really skewed to a really young audience, like 17, 18, 16, 15. We're mm-hmm. looking for that
1: for the, the demographic youth demographic. It. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, okay, great. That's mm-hmm.
3: great. You g- g- Go for the youth demographic. We'll go somewhere else, someone who appreciates something, ba- Generation X or baby boomers wow. or things like that. I'm not interested in that. That's crazy. That's crazy. To me, it's incredibly disrespectful to, like, people who are, have more experience, people that – you know, I wanna see I wanna see my I wanna see my age represented on screen. So but at the same time this wasn't I don't want to lie, this is an it was opportunistic to say, look, let's get let I me mean, write something for oh, actresses that are more experienced. So the movie the, the the script was designed around that idea of two amazing actresses having an emotion having emotionally um, fraught performances and physically demanding performances. Like that was the idea mm-hmm. of writing this. I wanted to see two amazing actresses in the role. Now, um, you know, when I was writing it, who did I see in my head? I don't want to say who it was. We didn't actually go after them because it's just like, you know, there was there's no point. Like what we did was we sent the script to a casting director, Stephanie Holbrook here in New York. Um, and, mm-hmm. She read the script and really liked it, and then she got the script out to other agents in LA, who got the script passed around, and it basically was, you know, to different clients. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and Sandra, it found it found their way into Sandra and Ann's hands, and it found awesome. it, its way into some other actresses' actors' hands as well. And when I was told that Ann and Sandra were interested, I couldn't believe that that That's was even awesome. possible. They would even consider it. And right. then you know when we all met, we said, "Look, let's do this." And you know how it works is once they sign on, the money, uh, the MPI, you know, decides to fund the film because they couldn't believe it either that we were able to get that that kind of that ta- caliber of talent attached right. to such a such That's a great I, project. You, you know? see yeah. the
2: no, but you see the you see the characters and you know who they are. And this brings up two other things. One is. um you well, Holly before, about... in, Holly,
3: before you go in, uh, no, uh, before you go before you go interrupt. I just want to say yeah. too that one of the beautiful benefits of, mm-hmm. of getting your cast, like you know, Alicia, mm-hmm. I met with Alicia and she wanted to play um, Sandra's role, and when I met with Anne, oh, she wanted really? to play Sandra's role, the character mm-hmm. of Veronica. But we cast Sandra first, so when I met with Aunt, when I met with Alicia, I knew that Alicia was just, even though she's, you know, she's, I think she's turning forty this year. She still has the kind of youth of like when she was in clueless. I feel that she still looks mm-hmm. and and feels and has that kind I of beautifully her. innocent you know yeah innocent mm-hmm. kind of youth, but I didn't think like worked for it as much as I loved her and and thought you could play one of the characters i I want to go with someone who's I, I don't see you going um against Anne or Sandra like so at never. Right. Really, like even though um, I I loved her, she she wasn't really considered for one of the leads because just their youthfulness. You know what I mean? Like, and she, you know, when yeah. she met, mm-hmm. she's like, "Wonder, I want if I, I could fight." I, I, you know, she's she did the Batman movie. She played Batgirl. You know what I mean? Like, she right, knows, right, right. She, she yeah. wants to get physical. She wants to, you know, do. And I'd love to write something for her in the future where she's just beating the hell out of someone. I just love, love, to, just so I'd love to see that. You know, <laughs> but but uh, but uh, but the thing is about getting Sandra and Anne is once they signed on. Once Sandra signed on, Anne said, I want to play Sandra's character, but I'm like, I said, Anne, I love you, but that that's cast, it's already been cast. Well, she said, well, who, who's playing the role? And I said, Sandra. Oh, and she said, well, I'll definitely play the other role. I'd love to act with Sandra. So once they oh, were cast, awesome. Alicia said, Alicia, you know, said I'll, I'll play Anne hayes 's love interest because it's Anne Hayes, And then once they were cast, Amy Hill, who's an amazing, huge, larger-than-life actress who's popular and, and ubiquitous and, and, and incredibly – uh, above any, probably, uh, they're all above the script in some way. It's like, but she signs on because those guys are signed on. And then Craig Bierka, who's an amazing actor, signed on. Dylan Baker signed right. on. So there's a snowball effect. There's a beautiful snowball right. effect. Once you get actors, there's a credibility that's given to the script that where, you know, other actors have confidence in it. Even, you know, if the director, you, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a, I mean, I, I, I consider myself, a good director, but my films – I can't – people watch my films and they assume that I don't know how to direct um, an action scene or I don't know how to direct a scene in terms of imagery, visuals, because I'm not interested in craft right now. Like, it's just our budget – the budgets are so low, the schedules are so tight, I'm more focused on performance and words right now. It's like until I am able to get a higher budget and more time to shoot, I'm just not – not, I don't care about craft. I don't care about the pure – Cinema of of what of, of, of you know of the, of the potential for cinema for, for these low budget films. It's about story. It's about energy. Again, that rawness of Highway to Hell. The rawness of performance. I just want to get something mm-hmm. that is a filled with life. You know what I mean? Not, not something that's not technical. It's funny. You're gonna play a Bruce Springsteen song to close the show out, right? So I, there's a song yeah. there was a song I was gonna choose um, called Bishop Danced. And it's a song that he played live, I think, in 1973. It's just him playing his guitar, and there's an accordion kind of, you know, accompanying him, singing this great, great, incredible song. Now, I was looking up on YouTube the other day, and the song, like, supposedly he had just played the song for the first time in 25 years at a concert somewhere in New York or Jersey or wherever. And uh, I went on YouTube, and I thought, wow, he's playing it live, like, as as a man in his 60s. I want to hear what this sounds like. And he's on stage, and there's, like, He's got it, you know, there's like 10, 15 people in the band playing. You know, there's like 15 different instruments. And it's just like, it's just too much. And it's just too glossy. And it just feels too technical. And it doesn't feel raw like it when he played it with just his guitar mm-hmm. and the accordion. And it's like, I want to feel yeah. it. I want to feel it through words yeah, and
2: acting. that stuff is so different. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, without a
3: doubt. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's like, I'm, not, I'm not impressed with... Craft. I mean, there's some films that are out the right over, now. So the
2: overproduction of it or the over-the-top o- over stuff. Yeah, totally.
3: And just, Spencer and I, I had conversations about tall.
2: that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, even like you you
3: could you you can light something and you can have good composition and good production design and that's all admirable and it's great that you have all these artisans who come together to make something that's beautiful to look at and it's hypnotic and the tone is ethereal and there's some horror films out right now that are just glossy and technically really well done and they, and they create this existential dread that like is whatever palpable and you feel it in the audience and these these are great experiences to have in the theater. There's no doubt, but they're a different experience than the raw performance of just,
1: mm-hmm. I don't know,
3: just uh, of dialogue, which is something that I still really, really cling to and gravitate towards, uh, at least right now, you know? And I, I'm, just, I'm just not, I was on, I was on a, I was, um, a judge at the, it was, it, was, it was a school in New York, that, that, and I was on the panel to judge all the student films at the end of the year, the end of the semester. And we watched, um, me and three other jurors sat in a room for eight hours and watched, uh, you know, uh, 20 or so student films. And very well done, really well made and like all of them look looked gorgeous. Like they would they would be comparable to any kind of indie film that's out today, that's going to Sundance and it's out in theaters right now that the critics are going ape shit over, right? They look as good, but what they lacked was, you know, a of script and, and performances that like felt mature. Like my my shit's really immature, I'll give it that. But there is a sense of experience that comes with that. You know what I mean? Like the, 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 the experience that comes with writing a joke or being able to write a monologue that is um, just filled with references uh, from extrapolated from all the things that you've watched and all the conversations you've had and all the relationships that you had. And
1: mm-hmm. I don't
3: know. Again, craft, I think you can teach people craft. I think script writing comes from, uh, you know, an, an, an essential experience, I think. I mean, that, that sounds really... Um, arrogant i think maybe to say that i just i mean it's beginning again patience you know spitzer goes back to his patience having the patience maybe i just lack like the patience to sit on a film set and say look we let's let's spend you know two hours three hours writing this and designing this shot and and spending time a whole day shooting one or two pages as opposed to 10 or 15 pages i mean do i have the patience for that I don't know. I don't have the budgets or the schedule, the luxury of time to test that theory out, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, technique is leaves me wanting something more. I think maybe I'm a slob. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I'm jealous of it. I don't know. But uh, No, anyway, um, you're
2: fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to bring Just. up something, um, two things. One is, um, on the movie Catfight, um, we're going to give out where you can watch it and the website, and then also – Let's talk about the stunt people that you had filling in for Sandra oh, yeah. and for Alan for for That's Anne. A mm-hmm. That's
3: important. Yeah, the, the the stunt coordinator, Balant Przinski. I can never. I'm so pathetic. I, I I'm always mispronouncing his name, and I always tell myself I'm going to learn how to pronounce it. Balent Balent I think it's his name. He's, he's a stunt coordinator. He was a, I think this is the first movie he was ever a stunt coordinator on. I think he normally was actually a, a stunt man himself in movies. I think he's based in Austin now. He was based in New York. Um, you know, uh, Gigi Graff, uh, the producer, uh, ended up finding a couple of people that interviewed for the job, and when I interviewed him, I just liked his attitude. Uh, even though he didn't have the same experience as a, an actual stunt coordinator we actually talked to, I'm not always looking for, like, the most experienced person or even necessarily the most talented person. Sometimes it's just a matter of instinct and filling someone out and saying, look, I want to work with you just because you seem like you're going to jive with my method of filmmaking, which is chaotic um, and, you know, and and very much um, flying by the seat of your pants, um, experimental, um, and that kind of thing. So, you know, when I talk to him, I just ask them, can we do this, can we do that, like – we're working with two actresses that have never really done fight scenes before, and how do we approach this? And, you know, and I, and I told him my ideas that I wanted to, like, you know, I wanted the fights to be epic, two to three minutes long, and we only had a day for each one. And, you know, he, his attitude was just, it was always um, affirming. He was always, he just said yes. He's like, I wonder if we can try anything and do anything, and if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. I just liked his Approach, which was open minded. I like this idea of saying yes before you say no. Now, on a film set, it's funny because I'm collaborative, and when people say, Give me ideas, like, you know, the producers and the other people will come up to me, and the DP will suggest ideas. I almost always say no right off the bat. But really, no means let me think about it. You know what I mean? Like I'll say, yeah. someone will say, Mate, why don't we try mm-hmm. this or that at a scene? And I'll think, no, that's not going to work. But then I'll think about it for 20 seconds, and I'll think, you know what? That's a good idea. Let's do that. Um, Ballin, you know, so it's, it's funny. I'm so contradictory and hypocritical because I don't like it when people say no to me, yet I kind of say no all the time when I really mean let me think about it. But the bottom line is Ballin was awesome. I mean, he he knew. He had relationships with lots of different um, stunt Doubles in town. Kara um, Ros- Rosella played uh, uh, Anne hache's stunt double for um, two of the fight scenes, and um, and um, Kimi's Suzuki played Sandra O's stunt double for three of the fight scenes, and they were just fantastic. The way we did it was that I storyboarded, you know, I drew the, I kind of drew like a comic book of all the punches that I wanted mm-hmm. to happen in the fight, just to kind of have mm-hmm. a blueprint, kind of like a, kind of a just something to use is, is to follow a guideline. And then, you know, we, I, would, I would work with Nikki. Uh, well, Nikki, there's an actress. I can't remember her last name. Her first name is Nikki. She, was in, she played Anne Hayes's body double for one fight scene. She got sick, and we replaced her with Kara um, throughout the production. I would storyboard the fights. The stunt doubles would go through the fights uh, first. We would shoot them. They would kind of rehearse the fights. Anne and Sandra would watch the fights watched how the uh, stud doubles chore- uh, actually executed the fight scenes, and we would break the fights apart. If it was a three-minute fight, we might shoot a 10-second portion, a 20-second portion. The stud doubles would go first. Sandra and Ann would observe, and then they would emulate what Nikki and Kara did, the stud doubles, um, and uh, Ballot, the stunt choreographer, was there to make sure everything was safe, to give um, extra kind of um, advice or pointers on how to execute the scenes. And, we just shot everything, we, you know, we, and, and it all worked out. We're really lucky because we shot in 2005, the winter of 2005-2015. I mean, and it was unseasonably warm during that time. Like, I think we'd had really brutal winters. The winter before, the couple of winters in New York before, were extremely cold and brutal, and there was there were ice storms throughout the the winters. And in 2015, we got covered with a blanket of warmth all through. December and, and and the conditions were perfect to do fight scenes two of the fight scenes were outside oh, awesome. and
1: mm-hmm. they were
3: designed again to be three and a half minute four and a half minute fight scenes which are really really long and if the, and if the weather had been extremely cold or or sleet or freezing rain or, or snow you know those fight scenes would have been cut down drastically and I think now some people might think that would that would benefit the film some people hate the fight scenes they're you know, like they go on too long and they're repetitive and they're redundant and they're boring. But I really, really love them, and the, you know the movie is designed around those fight scenes. You know, some people think the movie is really too violent, and I and I would not disagree with them because it is built as like a comedy, and I think it is very funny. But when you're if you're going to watch a comedy with someone like Sandra Oh and Anne Hayes and Alicia Silverstone, you're not expecting it to go as violent to get it to become as violent as it becomes, and I think that is kind of unfair to the audience. I talked about this in an earlier podcast. It's just now occurring to me, you know, a year after making the film, how that might have been a little bit unfair to the audience to to make something, to make a film that violent when it's supposed to be kind of a, you know, a somewhat... Um, likable comedy. Well, not likable. I don't think it's supposed to be likable. That's not the point. The point oh, is... Oh, like, it is likable.
2: Supposed- it's a fun yeah. comedy. Yes, there is some violence, uh, you know, borderline violence, but I mean really seriously, the whole thing comes down to where I can just see they're so frustrated with each other that they just do it, you know. And then the, the last fight they have is out of fear, I think. A lot of it's fear-driven, so... um. I, honestly I think Catfights great. Now let's give out some websites where they can watch it.
3: Yeah, um it, you know, it's on iTunes, it's on um, you know, the regular platforms Amazon where you can actually pay for it and uh and buy it. It's probably mm-hmm. Bit torrented all over the place, so you can probably download it for free everywhere. But it's also uh-huh. on Netflix. Netflix bought oh, the great. movie at Toronto. Netflix bought the movie at Toronto in two thousand sixteen. Um, mm-hmm. but the uh, press release was never um, sent out that, that that talked about how much they paid for the film. They actually, we, we you know, we, within three days of the premiere, the movie sold for quite more than the, bu- quite a bit more than the budget of the film. And I say that now in a way that sounds like it's bragging, um, it, but in a way like that no one ever knows about that. And there's an assumption, like no one knew the movie sold. And it was a bone of contention for me and my producer, because, you know, when you make a movie, you pre- premiere at Toronto, well, you know, it it, it it bodes well for you and your career if your film sells. You know what I mean? Like that, it, that ends up making headlines. That ends up making you look good if you made a film that buyers actually want. Uh, mm-hmm. Netflix was very aggressive and they bought the film very very uh, early on uh, for a very good price that made the distributors very very happy. That's but awesome. no one knows that. Uh, but but no one knows. And the, the assumption is that you know the film has just kind of disappeared into obscurity. Netflix released the film. A month ago, and they—you know—you didn't even know it was released. They bought the movie and basically just kind of buried it. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I have my theories about that. I—I I thought maybe did they buy it because they have the show Glow. There's a TV show about women's wrestling that's on right now called Glow. I saw that. And you know, mm-hmm. my my conspiracy theory mind, self um, self preserving, self serving mind thinks to myself. Did they buy Glow? Did they buy Catfight because they knew Glow was coming out and they didn't want it to be competition for Glow because it's you know it's kind of in the same ballpark although they're very very different from each other. I watched the the first season of Glow and I enjoyed it very much. I think it's a a really well done, well produced show. Um, but you know Netflix released Cat, uh, Catfight Catfight a month before Glow came on and no one even knows mm-hmm. Netflix. No no one even knows Catfight on Netflix. Well so now we know no one even knows
2: Catfight.
3: Catfight is on Netflix,
2: guys. Okay. Yeah, and, it's much different um, than
3: yeah. Without it, it's much different than Glow. I but, yeah, I really like Glow, but I really. I, but you know, I I don't want to sound like sour grapes, and I do. But again, I'm a I'm just I, complaining is um it's very easy for me. I feel like uh, the joke well, is you know, people say hey, you know how are you doing, and I say I can't complain, but uh, but I do anyway, incessantly, all the time. You know, wow. but,
1: it, 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 but 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 the film is film. out there. Yeah.
3: Well, I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah, okay. I think it's worth seeing because Anne and Sandra's performance, I just think that they're um, so, so committed.
2: Absolutely, and Alicia, yeah, absolutely. And, and Ariel, and, Ariel, and Ariel is Ariel. amazing in it. Ariel also an actress, is so adorable. I, I love
3: her I think one bunny. of the, And one of the actresses, too, who I think is one of the unsung <laughs> heroes of the film is an actress named Myra Lucretia Taylor, who plays Sandra O's. <clears throat> she's her. Amazing housekeeper yeah earlier in the film yeah, and then you know later I in the film him. she ends up being her caregiver and you know yeah. some people have reacted to her character saying oh she's a mammy character you know she's slightly overweight she's she's african-american and she's the housekeeper and then of course people see that and they just see oh it's it's a it's an, arch- it's, it's an archetype it's 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 uh you know it's a racial <laughs> archetype from whatever the mammy character from the 50s and 60s or whatever but it's just not true Myra Lucrecia Taylor is just a brilliant actress, and she has to be subservient to, to Sandra's character early in order for the, the second act to make sense, where they've, they've you know, changed positions and, and Myra takes her in, unconditionally takes it's in awesome. the person that she works for. And it's like mm-hmm. any, anybody who's – it just shows you the reactionary culture that we live in where people see something and they say, oh, that's racist, and by them calling it racist – they're the ones who are being racist because you're saying it's racist <laughs> mm-hmm. because she happens to be an overweight African American character and she's racist It's racist because of that? No, she's an brilliant actress who happens to be African American and round and and and, and 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 she's fucking brilliant and she's. I wanna I wanna write leading roles for um, Myra Lucretia Taylor if she'll ever oh, do I them think, because I think I she's think amazing. I think you did
2: a great job casting this and and I know Spencer had a lot of. Fun working on it. Um, I wanted to tell you um, that we loved having you on here today. And for anyone that missed the show, you can listen to it again um, on iTunes afterwards, and also on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio. I'm just saying we have. I, I have. I'm, we're almost out of time on the show. As we've no, this gone has been an through. honor.
3: Thank you both no, for having me on. I mean, oh, I
2: love it No, we no, no. We love I it, love. I love this. This is fun. Um, Let's talk about what you're – what are you currently working on right now, just this uh, black magic for white boys trying to get that sold? Yeah, we're trying to get it sold. You
3: know, the the idea is, like, once we find some interest in the potential um, financier or networker or whatever uh, online platform that might fund it, we don't care who funds it as long as – it gets out there, and that, you know, we, we would license it to whoever's, you know, picking it up. It's like we want to retain the rights to it so that if if somebody played That's it for great. a year and they didn't renew it, we could take it somewhere else. So I'm working on that, and um, we just finished a movie that takes place in a hotel room on election night. It's uh, basically it's a zeitgeist movie where two Trump supporters are celebrating in New York on election night, and it's kind of this, movie that's, uh, again, it's kind of like Catfight in the sense that it's kind of calling out hypocrisy from all sides, the right, the left, the apathetic, the middle, you know, people who... When is that going to be done? Is that done now? We're hoping to premiere it somewhere. I'm editing it now. and We're hoping to premiere it, you know, at a festival in the fall or a festival next year. Uh, People may think it's a terrible film. People may think it's a great film. I'm hoping that it's kind of split like all my movies, and there are fans. They're people who like my work, I think, will like it. Um, I can't seem to broaden my reach, you know what I mean? I'm kind of stuck with having a few handful of fans, which is fine. I'll take anything. But the bottom line is it's just about building the body of work. And Dylan Baker plays the leading role, and um, he's just – his performance, again, it's like it's, – again, going back to Highway to Hell, it's just raw and unhinged and, and powerful – and he plays a misanthropic character who's having a breakdown. He represents, you know, he he's a diehard Trump supporter, but he's not a he's not a hero. He's not an anti-hero. He, it, this movie isn't celebrating mm-hmm. this character, and it's not re, it's not reviling him. It's it's just it's a it's a it's a tortured, angry person, which is how I how I write my characters. I guess I see myself in that way. Um, it's also I'm also a very self-deprecating person. I, I tend to be very self-critical, and this was this was a chance for me after the election, to be extremely critical of, like, progressive politics because, you know, I myself uh, see myself as a liberal, progressive, you know, person, and I'm criticizing my own kind of smugness that I sometimes have criticizing the right, criticizing conservatives, and I thought to myself, nobody likes to be called stupid. I don't consider myself a smart person. I consider myself quite stupid, but I'm thinking to myself, I, sometimes I feel so superior to other people, and no one likes to be called dumb, so I thought, let me write from the perspective of a conservative character who's basically calling liberals dumb for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. But we also see liberal point of views throughout the movie. I mean, there's, there's probably eight characters in the film, and it's not just strictly conservative. Again, it's, it's, it's a huge kind of demographic that's represented political thoughts. And uh, again, you oh, know, it's cool. just not about the, the person who voted for Trump or the person who voted for Hillary. It's for that kind of um, lukewarm liberal who was so mm-hmm. angry that Trump lost it was so angry that Trump won, yet never really championed Hillary to begin with. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it, it kind of makes fun of that apathetic voter oh, who's like, "Well, I didn't I didn't vote, so thus I didn't vote for Trump." Yet if you didn't vote, you have to take responsibility for who wins because you didn't, mm-hmm. you know, cast a vote in that decision. So it's just it's just a lot of different um, ideas, kind of like you know, is it, react. Basically, I was reacting towards. It, w- it was in the wake of a contentious year of politics that left me kind of like hollow inside, spiritless, vapid, abject, and I was kind of commenting on that because I was just so disgusted with with how the election think came a out. Lot I mean, all
2: of us are feeling that right now. Trust
3: me, <laughs> you
1: know we're all we're all
2: there, we're all right there. And and what are you thinking? This is coming out in the fall. You're saying?
3: Um, I, I don't know. I mean, hopefully, the sooner the better, because I think it is a film that will benefit from from how timely it is. I think it is exactly of oh, yeah. the moment, and you know, time. And, you know, the, the world we're living in right now, things change so quickly. You know, going back to Dallas, circling back, to when you're talking about Dallas, I remember when Dallas mm-hmm. came out in the '80s, and in the culture, in the culture, everyone was talking about the same thing. You know, like when who shot Jr. Like that was a big mystery. Mm-hmm. Everybody, like that, even me as a, as a as a middle schooler or a high schooler. My, and I didn't even watch the show just because in the cultural zeitgeist, that's what everyone was talking about. It was there. You could feel it, you know, and now everything's so splintered. Things are moving so quickly, and there's so many – there's just so much information and so many things. I mean, it's probably a good thing that something like, you know, who shot Jr. is not uh, occupying the cultural co- – the, the, the collective conversation. You know what I mean? But Trump is like J.R. Like he just has – he just serped. He's kind of hijacked all political conversation, and I think when he got elected, I thought to myself, Jesus Christ, we just had a year of this madness, and now we're going to have it for the next four years, and Mm -hmm. the last six months has been just kind of a a nightmare in terms of where the culture is, in terms of what the conversation is. It's just like it's just Mm -hmm. been hijacked by a man that some people, the left is demonizing for every little thing that he does, and – and the right, I don't, know, I said, I, I don't know if they're looking away or they're just going kind to of associate. I, I don't know. I, I, out of just um, pre- self-preservation, have stepped away from delving in, in, into like paying too much attention to what's going on currently. But at the time that I wrote the script and I spent seven months, you know, rewriting it, six months rewriting it, so we just shot, we just finished shooting about a month and a half ago, like, about a month ago. It's, it's just a way for me to exercise my despair. Which is what mm-hmm. filmmaking, art, writing, music, everything I think it's just a conduit, it's an outlet to express my disdain, my anger, and my perpetual fear of everything, you know what I mean, which is oh, uh, yeah no, it's, so
2: absolutely. it's a it's an emotional outlet for you, so that gives you, yeah, sure. yeah. you know outlet to be able to do that. I think a lot of us are feeling a lot of the same things, and you know i I tend to not talk politics only because. You know, there's two sides to everything. Everybody feels differently. And, you know, it's like then you lo- You actually will lose friends over conversations. Oh, sure. So, you know, I mean,
3: And yeah, what's and, and lost is compassion, just empathy and compassion and mm-hmm. listening, really, yeah. really listening and trying to agree, finding some sort of, like, agreement with the other side. Going back to, like, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 I'm having a hard time watching films these days because I can't quite connect with what's on screen. But, Spencer, you would mentioned the documentary about the eight filmmakers who ended up getting funding yeah. for their films right and one of the things about like a, a show like glow about the you know the gorgeous ladies of wrestling and also a show uh, a show that was on fx earlier this year called um feud about betty davis and um uh, the feud between betty davis and uh oh, shoot the other actress jessica lane plays i can't believe i'm forgetting her name but what who, who's uh, who killed baby jane well what, what's uh, Joan Crawford? Joan Crawford, right. The yep. movie, it's a TV show. It's an eight-episode TV show about the kind of feud they had while they were making Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and then kind of this, uh, this decades-long feud between them. The the, the, the performances of the actresses uh, and, and the characters on GLOW, the performances by Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lange on FX are amazing, and the writing is really good on the show, but both of the shows have a you know filmmaking bit to them, and they both this feature kind of like filmmakers who are, you know, caught up in the system and, like, struggling to get their, their pictures made. And, um, you know, I, I, I love seeing the, the actresses, of course, and the stories about the women, but I, I identify it, it, it's to, some degree, to some degree with any story about an artist who's just frustrated with trying to get his or her work made. Because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. this is what I, this is what we, we choose. You choose to make this stuff, for good or bad, or if it makes a difference, if it's inconsequential, which my work pretty much is it's like it's just what i've chosen to do so the fact that i get to sit here and talk about it for an hour and a half you, you hear how much i ramble um it, it just maybe denotes that i'm maybe full of myself to some degree but i just i am still just very yeah. passionate about this stuff and i love and sure. that yeah. um
0: and, i and can no matter talk your passion
2: shows
0: you pick absolutely. up the passion and your
2: pa- yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and yeah well i
3: appreciate you guys talking <laughs> to me yeah i appreciate it yeah. Are you kidding? Up. <laughs> no, we
2: love we love talking to you. Unfortunately we are running out of time. Gosh, we should have you back, um, Spence, we should reschedule.
1: Yeah, yeah, a definitely. Show are you kidding?
2: To talk yep. about some stuff. Yeah, I know, absolutely. Um, you know what I wanted to say really quick before we end the show is why don't you give out your business website, because it's really cool. You've got art on there that you oh, created yeah. which is funny. That art is in the movie. Isn't that the art that's actually yeah, on the movie? Yeah,
3: I do a lot. One of the, yeah, one of the things I do um, is, is I kind of do a lot of paintings, weird kind of crazy kind of paintings.
4: Just, mm-hmm. again,
3: it's kind of like yoga for me. It's like it, 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 it does chill me out. It, it co- brings me comfort. If I'm feeling especially mm-hmm. distressed about something, I can just draw a picture, and I'll, I'll yeah. maybe my stress levels will go down just a few levels. Um, but my website is – Simeonnation.com. It's like Simeon. S-i. It's like the monkey. Simeonnation.com. S-i-m-i-a-n-n-a-t-i-o-n.com. And there, there is an actual cat, site, cat fight um, website. Yeah. It's uh, it's a, it's a cat it's catfight.com. And MPI has been so great. Like I, I say this on the commentary, the movie's out on DVD right now, and the movie's kind of being released in different places all over the world. And I get e- you know, emails and Twitter tweet, tweets from different people from all over the world. MPI did did a did a great job of um, taking a chance on the film and funding it, and also getting it out there. And I just I am very grateful for that. You know, at the end of the day, so many films get made every year, you know, thousands of films get made, but even more films don't get made, they don't get the financing. And, uh, you know, the money came through for the film. And
0: hey, wait a, a minute, very, i got to ask you a question, fun. owner. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we talked about this, but in the gallery scene, you did some of those paintings on the wall, is that right? We just said Yeah, I did most
1: of
0: the, the artwork. Yeah, but that's oh, okay, no, that's no, okay. That's
3: okay, but some of the artwork in yeah. the movie, the better artwork, you can tell the really good artists, the people actually that have. Again, I talk, I sit there and a lament and, and disparage – technique and like, oh, fuck technique and fuck great cinematography and great, you know, <laughs> great, you know the cinema, but but like, you can tell the artwork, those who are te- craftsmen, those who are truly technical and know how to draw, and in my paintings where it's just somebody scribbling what looks like kindergarten artwork, you know what I mean? Like, there there is, throughout the movie, you, there's beautifully rendered artwork by uh, a, right. a, an mm-hmm. artist named Izzy Webb, Brett Thompson, and also um, Jessica Baharas um, mm. does like the Decapitated Sperm Painting, there's one particular painting in there, a decapitated sperm that you can't miss it, and it's just a brilliant, brilliant painting yeah. by someone yeah, who knows how to paint. Yeah, it's the only
2: picture that didn't sell out in the gallery. I remember that. That's <laughs> yes, right, right, that exactly. Out. But, you know, <laughs> I it, it, I it, people that. think,
3: <laughs> and people just think, you know, some people think, oh, man, that's just a blue joke, and it's just absurd, but there mm-hmm. is kind of, uh, some, there's, there's an undertone thematically of what that represents, the decapitated right. sperm, preemption, the preemption, right. preemptiva- preemptively killing a life. and um, So, you know, everything in the writing is deliberate, and I know a lot of the politics are so on the nose. I mean, I, I wear my politics on my sleeve in the film, but there's also a lot of stuff under the surface that, like, uh, you know, that you have to, if you're interested in the film and you watch it repeatedly, you know, you, maybe you'll it. see if you
1: really Absolutely. look for it, you know.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah,
3: Well, we love talking thank to you both so Holly much. Spencer.
0: Thank so you. We, thank you. You hey, we We love
2: having you on.
0: we love having you. We'll bring it like Holly says, we'll bring it back on in the next uh, film.
2: Yeah, no. Absolutely. And uh, we're gonna uh, end our show with a song called Wild Billy Circus Story. And it's uh, one of
3: my favorite songs. It's one of my hey. favorite Springsteen songs. I could talk about this song for thirty minutes but I won't. But uh, I I'm am yeah. so I'm so great that I'm on a show where you start with Highway to Hell and end with Wild Billy, Billy Circus Story. Because well, to me is it is a, it's cinematic as hell. Yeah. It's a very yeah. cinematic song. I love it it's so much. Springsteen fun. got it it's a beautiful song. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh.
2: And And I want to thank Spencer for being here, too, and yourself. And it's Friday, guys. Please don't drink and drive. And uh, anything else, Spencer? You said you had a show last night. Tell us about the show. Oh, yeah. Richard
0: Barone, our friend Richard Barone, has been on our show. Holly and I had on Mm -hmm. amazing, right, amazing musician, has a new album out called Uh, Sorrows and Promises. And, uh... Amazing event last night at Joe's pub in New York. I can't even tell you, but some of those awesome. people will be on our show. I'm going to book them for our show. so it's uh, like David Amram and uh, elvis perkins and uh and tammy Faye and uh, it' was amazing, amazing performance last night, Holly. Amazing.
2: yeah, very cool mm-hmm. well we we look forward to seeing your film come to completion in the fall, hopefully. Yep. And we hope to see Black Magic for White Boys. And if you guys can, go see Cat Fight if you have Netflix. Look it up. It's all one word, Cat Fight. And um, go to Onar's um, uh, website. Um, Again, let's give that website out one more time before we play our song.
3: SimeonNation.com. SimeonNation.com.
2: Okay, awesome. And, again, if you missed the show, it will be available afterwards on iTunes and also on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio as an immediate download. We want to thank everyone that's been listening live and everyone that's in the chat room. And um, I want to thank everyone for listening today. And, uh, and carry on with your 4th of July celebration. Just be really safe. Be aware of your surroundings. And uh, thank you so much for being here today. This was fun. Holly, Spencer, you fun. two are amazing.
3: Thank you so oh, much. I love you, too, you. love you, too, man. Thank you, Love you, man. Yeah, I love with you both. That, you
2: guys enjoy this song. This is a great song. Here you guys go.
5: One, two, three, four. Ferris wheel like a breeze, In the fire eaters' line in a pool of sweat, victim of a heat wave. Behind the tent, the hired hand tightens his legs on the sofa. Stop it. Flying Zambinis watch Margarita do her next
1: quest.
5: And the ringmaster gets the crowd to count along 95,
1: 96,
5: 97. A ragged suitcase in his hand, he steals silently away from the circus ground. In the highways by the carnival sounds, they dance like a great, great priestly ghost on the wind. A man in baggy pants, a lonely face, a crazy man running home to some small. And a barker romances with a junkie She's got a flat tire At <laughs> <Good> night, elephants <Elizabeth laughs> dance real funky And the band play like a jungle fire Circus town's on the live wire And a strong man's sass And it's a midget little tiny Tim way up on Go way up and carries them on down the midway, past the kids, past the sailors, to his damn little trailer, and the ferris wheel turns and turns like it ain't ever gonna stop. And the circus boss leans over, whispers in the little boy's ear. Yes, you want
1: to
5: try a big topper? Woolly the bass, next stop.
3: Every day, we rise